Well, it's so good to be with all of you here in the sanctuary, out in the patio, and at home. Um, it's always a, a blessing to come together as a church family. Uh, you know, in the year 2004, there was a tiny little book that was published by Robert Fulgham, and not a lot of people expected much out of it, but it became a runaway New York Times bestseller, and the title of the book was, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And I don't know if some of you remember that book. And the author talked about how he realized that although life was very complex and there are a lot of things that he needs to kind of get a handle on as an adult, he really realized that everything that he really needed to know to have a meaningful life, he actually learned in kindergarten already. So he began listing initially of the things that he was taught when he was a little toddler. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. By the way, we could have solved a lot of COVID problems if we just did that. Flush. That's really important. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands and stick together. Wander. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup. The roots go down and the plant goes up and nobody really knows how or why. Well, we are all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die. So do we. His assertion is that most of what we need to know, we already know and we learn when we are little. You know, last uh, time I preached, I said that uh, the, the concepts are a little bit upper division, it was a little bit more complex, and I want to say that today's message and the passage that it's found, the, the essence of the passage and the truth is extraordinarily simple. In fact, what I would probably say that is that today's truth, for almost all of you, in fact, even if today's your first day at church period, that you're not going to learn anything new. That uh, almost everything that I will say today and from the passage are things that you already know. But for almost all of us, even for those that are first-timers and those who have been at church for, for decades, although it's a simple truth, there, there are things that you and I are not living. And we need to be reminded over and over and over again. So the passage for today is, and we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. 
Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go down, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. This is the very last portion of uh, Moses' speech or sermon to the people. Uh, there's some chapters uh, that follow it, but that is more of a narrative of what's happening. But this is the transcript of the last section of his message. And so he is uh, accentuating that, uh, putting an exclamation point and saying, this is, although I've said so much about the law and your history, et cetera, but, and who I am, this is the final word. This is the, the kindergarten version of what I want you to remember. He begins by saying, it's not too complicated. Uh, it's not something that you need to, to go to heaven and, and, um, and get from there, but it's already come down to you. I, I, the Lord has wrote them on tablets and gave them to me to give to you. It's something that is very accessible to you. Verses 19 and 20 are the very last parts of his sermon, and a lot of uh, biblical commentators believe that it is really this section that says this is what the book of Deuteronomy is about. Um, verses 19 and 20, I call heaven and earth to test witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, and here's the, that, that thing that we ought to remember, choose life. If there is a word one word that captures the purpose of the book of Deuteronomy, if there's one word that Moses is giving to the Hebrew people as they go into the land of promise, if there is one word uh, that the word of God is trying to communicate to uh, the Hebrew people back then and even to, the, uh, to all of us today, and it's the word choose. That's the verb form. The noun is choice. Choose life. Um, it is, I, I believe, uh, one of the most important um, challenges that could be given to us. You know, I, I don't know if you realize, but perhaps the greatest ability that you and I possess, uh, what sets us apart from even the most powerful, intelligent of other life forms is uh, and the reason why God says that you, have, you and I have been given the imago Dei, the image of God, is that we have the power of choice. We have the ability to choose 
And that is a remarkable power that you have and uh, comes with that power to choose is uh, the responsibility of choosing and the consequences uh, and the implications of our choosing. Uh, they were given two choices. Verse 19 says that the choices are life and death, b- blessing and curse. Verse 15 says, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. So on the one side, our choice uh, of good, life, and blessing. And on the other side is the choice of evil, death, and curse. And so, and, and I know that all of us here understand this kindergarten version of a spiritual uh, transcendent truth. That we have a choice between good and evil. We can choose good for life and blessing or evil for death and curse. And, and now we're going to break it down. Uh, in verses 15 through 17, uh, Moses gives them two conditional statements, uh, if-then statements. The first is found in verse 16. Uh, if... You obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules. And the choice that we have is that we can love God for life and good. So that's the the one choice that we have. We can love God for life and good. Uh, What God requires of his people is that we obey God, and the way that we have obey God is to love, walk, and keep. And it is not simply a feeling, but a life. The book, the book of Deuteronomy is filled with how we do so. If we can, uh, we can kind of summarize it. And if we can uh, write up a kindergarten version of the book of Deuteronomy, the, the book of Deuteronomy seems um, awfully complex and long and, and awkward at times. If I can uh, give you a kindergarten version of it, and in fact, if you are a Hebrew child, and you grew up in a Hebrew home, at some point in time, you would have memorized, um, in Hebrew, the Ten Commandments. Eugene Peterson has a paraphrased version of the Bible, and his version of the Ten Commandments in the message version of the Bible, and, and I'm going to leave certain portions out, it goes something like this. In Exodus 20, verses 3 through 17, No other gods... Only me. No carved gods of any size, shape, or form of anything, whatever, whether, or, uh, whether of things that fly or walk or swim. Don't bow down to them and don't serve them because I am God, your God, and I am a, a most jealous God. No using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. Observe the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Work six days and do everything you need to. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to God, your God. Don't do any work. Honor your father and mother so that you'll live long time in the land that God, your God, is giving you. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lies about your neighbor, no lusting after your neighbor's house or wife or servant or maid or ox or donkey. That's the kindergarten version of what God demands of us. And he says in verse 
16 of chapter 30, then, so if this is our life, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. You shall go and you shall live and multiply, meaning instead of dying, you shall live and instead of just remaining stagnant, you shall flourish, you shall multiply. There are natural consequences, a natural result outworkings of what happens when we live life according to God's commands. We live and we flourish. And in fact, that's true not only of those who worship God, but those who are atheists. If they live according to God's standards, there's a greater likelihood that they'll uh, survive and they'll flourish. And not only that, God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. God will supernaturally bless you. And so here's a simple kindergarten principle. Good begets good. Good begets life and blessing. I think most of us know that. And when you're, when you're raising a little child and you send them off to kindergarten, at, at some point in time, you teach them, be good. You need to be good. Because if you're good, good things will happen. You treat them that way at home. If they're good, we reward them. And when you send them off, you tell them that. When you're good, good things will happen. Good begets good. Good begets life and blessing. Now, uh, the other if-then statement is found in verse 17. And if, uh, the first was love God for life and uh, blessing and this one shows that uh, the choice that we have is leave God for a death and evil. Verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. So um, you can love God or you can leave God. You can serve God or you can serve other gods. You can uh, choose to obey God or you can Close your ear to God. Uh, if their choice is not God, then, verse 18, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter to uh, and possess. It's a, the opposite of what we heard earlier. Leaving God will result in death and evil and curse. Um, we didn't cover this particular chapter, but if we go over just a couple chapters earlier, chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, the whole thing is about this dichotomy of choice. In verse 1, it says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And he, he talks about 14 verses about what happens if we live a good life. And in verse 15, he then flips and says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And so from verse 15 to 68, Moses talks about all the results of disobedience or leaving God. And, and there's some parts that are really, really difficult uh, to read, it, it, it's very dark. Verse 59, it, it somewhat 
toward the end, it says, and the Lord will bring on you your, and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. So here's the other simple truth. The first was good begets good. Good begets um, life and blessing. Here's the other simple truth. Bad begets bad. Bad begets death and curses. And it is what we teach our children too. If they're bad, we give them a timeout or punishment. We, we withhold uh, cookies or, or, or their iPad. And we tell them that if they do that at school, if they're bad at school, or if, they, if they're bad with their friends, that bad things will happen. So two opposing uh, but, but parallel uh, simple kindergarten spiritual truth. Good begets good, bad begets bad. Now, um, one of the problems we have with this is this, that we kind of understand and we teach our kids and we, we kind of know that this is true. Good begets good, bad begets bad. But we, and we think that in a perfect world, that's how the universe kind of uh, works. We try to teach our children that, but at the same time, we don't really believe in it. Because reality sometimes says differently. Because we've seen good people suffer. We've seen good people get cancer and, and really struggle painfully. And we've seen, we've seen bad people accumulate immense, worth, uh, immense, uh, immense amount of power and wealth and we wonder, hey, is this really true or not? And we also, when we understand the gospel message that God doesn't bless because we're good, but he blesses and loves regardless of whether we're good. So we're a little bit confused. Is this really true or not? Um, and I want to say this, and also we ask ourselves, if this is true, then how is the Christian faith any different from any other works-oriented religion where we're trying to like earn our way to salvation? Now, I think um, we need to understand uh, uh, the book of Deuteronomy a little bit more accurately because I believe we read the Old Testament oftentimes with our uh, 21st century lenses and we misunderstand. So let me give you, for example, uh, the book of Deuteronomy where it's counterintuitive and it's contradictory to what we think sometimes. Now, for example, the, now in the book of Deuteronomy, God is telling the Hebrew people to go into the promised land. And in chapter 9, verse 3, it tells them to drive out the enemies and make them perish. So he's telling them to go into war. And during war, many Hebrew people will perish. So what does it mean uh, when, when God tells them to obey me and you will have life, but by obeying, some of them will actually die? If the promise is obey or, or love God or, or be good and you will have life, 
But by being good or being obedient, some of them die or sacrifice, or some of them lose a father. Some, there are orphans that are produced or widows that are produced. How do we reconcile this? Now, here's another part. Uh, it tells them to go conquer the, the people there. But in other parts of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 15, they are given explicit instruction to love the foreigners. And in fact, it tells them that if, if you're a farmer and you have, you're collecting your sheaves of grain, um, uh, grain stalks, um, when you've forgotten some, intentionally leave them there and don't collect them. If they have a, if they have a farm, don't uh, plow your, or don't collect your harvest in the corners, but leave them for the foreigners, for the fatherless, and the widows. And if you do that, you will be blessed. So in our minds, when we read that, we think, wait a minute. So does that mean that if we are, are kind of trying to apply that in economy sense, that by forfeiting some of our profits that we will become more profitable. And, and, or, or is God trying to say to us that if we for, forfeit some of our profits, that, yeah, somehow that act, being generous to our strangers, widows, and orphans, that we will somehow become, make more money. Well, contrary to popular opinion, there is no economic model that says that forfeiting some of your profits will actually be more profitable. I don't know if that makes sense. I know in modern culture, it is cool and hip and almost expected of large corporations to give to causes, but I, I, I hate to say this to you, but a lot of the corporations do that as a marketing ploy. It is not because they really are trying to be profitable. There is an uh, ultimate bottom line is that um, forfeiting profit doesn't add profit. So what does it mean when God is telling the Hebrew people um, to be good and then I will bless you? That if you're good, it will result in life and blessing when being good is giving up a part of your flourishing or profit. Does that make sense? It seems contradictory. It says, be good and I will give you life and blessings, but being good means sometimes giving up life and giving up profit. So here's where I think we miss it. But uh, by reading the Bible through our modern lens. Part of the key is found in verses 19 and 20. These are the last two types of um, sentences um, of the speech. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. And now we have a preconceived idea of what life and death Blessing and curses, okay? So now we're trying to, we're reading everything according to our preconceived idea of what those are. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, 
loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. And then, this is, this is, listen carefully, this is the key. Because he is your life and length of days. Here, God is defining what life is. We were reading Deuteronomy thinking that life means not dying. That blessing means making money or living a prosperous life. But here, Moses is saying, choose life. Life is me. It's life is being with me. It should remind you of what Jesus said one time in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is saying, even back, even at that time, I, I want you to choose me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life is with me, and there are other parts of Jesus when he tells his disciples, his followers, uh, you've got to pick up the cross. You've got to deny yourself. And they, they, all of these things are consistent. Life is not uh, living long in this life, not being sick, never uh, suffering. Blessing is not having more money than other people, being comfortable. Life is knowing God and being fully satisfied in Him. And that is why we sometimes get in trouble. We look at Jesus Christ as a means to a prosperous life, and we wonder why it doesn't happen. What God is trying to say in John, as well as Deuteronomy, that God himself is life and blessing. And we need to be satisfied in that. Now, uh, I don't want us to leave today thinking simply that we need to choose good um, and we need to not choose bad um, and kind of leave us a little bit fuzzy and with this complex type of thought like, boy, there's a lot of pressure still on me. Uh, when it when the book of Deuteronomy talks about the concept of choosing, uh, it actually begins with a different type of choosing. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, let me um, listen carefully because Moses is reminding the Hebrew people of their identity. He says, says For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Chapter 14, verse 2, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So this is what Moses is saying to them. You, their identity, you are chosen. You have been chosen. Not because you are more beautiful, not because you're righteous, not because you worked really hard or deserving. And in fact, chapter 7, verse 7, it says this. It was not because you are more uh, in number than any other people that, in the, uh, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. For some reason, God uh, decided, chose to love you. 
And so you are his chosen. You know, I, I was talking to a set of um, um, adoptive parents not too long ago. And they reminded me of this, uh, just this amazing theological profound truth. You know that oftentimes uh, the Bible refers to human relationships uh, to illustrate spiritual truths. Uh, the, the relationship that maybe a groom has with a bride, a shepherd has with the sheep, um, a parent has with a child. And uh, a lot of us know that uh, and believe that God is a father and we are his children. And there's this unconditional love that a parent has for a child. And, and for those of you who are parents, you kind of know that. Uh, but this... Um, this couple reminded me of a profound theological truth that there is only one begotten Son of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There's only one, right? And so when Christians say that I am a son of God, a daughter of God, are we saying that we are begotten sons and daughters of God? Theologically, we are actually not begotten sons and daughters of God, but we are adopted children of God. And there's a profound difference. The, the difference between a biological child and an adopted child is this. The biological child is not chosen. The adopted child is. And for those who have adopted or those who have been adopted, you understand. For some reason, you've chosen to love this child. And you chose that child, that boy or that girl. Not because you, you knew that this child would grow up to be someone um, edu highly educated, obedient, or good, but you just simply chose that child to love. You, you've chosen to pour your love into that child. And you bring that child home and you say, from now on, you belong to us. And nothing will ever change that. We're not going to take you back. And it is no, not conditioned upon whether you're obedient or what. You're just our child now. You are our chosen. And now, for the rest of your life, what, I'm going to, what we will do is to pour love into you and ask you to choose daily to listen to us, to believe us, to be loved by us. And I believe this is the picture of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ and what God is commu um, communicating to us even today. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. And would you do me a favor? Would you take a minute? And I, there are those of us here, there are those of you here today that, that perhaps you have never made a decision you have the ability to choose, and I know we can talk about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, but you have never made a decision, and you can even today, to make a decision to follow Jesus and whatever that means. And perhaps today you can, you can pray the best that you can, saying, I'm a sinner. Not because I'm good or righteous or beautiful or successful, or can I predict what will happen, but I... I know that I need my Heavenly Father to forgive me, to call me a daughter, a son of yours. 
And for those of you who've been Christians a long time, I want you to know that you've made a decision at one point in time to follow Jesus. But you need to decide, we need to decide daily to follow Jesus, to love him. And on a daily basis, we need to say again and again and again, in our marriage, in our parenting, in in our work, in our private lives, saying, I will choose. I will choose good. I will choose God for life and blessing. Would you take about a minute or so and ask the Holy Spirit to point out an area in your life and would you say, I am today going to choose. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. Jesus.